can't tell you how enjoyable it is to be back in the pulpit here. It's always a great privilege to be able to visit uh, faithful brethren in other places. And the brethren in Indianapolis were very kind. They were very open, very friendly. Uh, but it's always great to be back home. I will add uh, one additional uh, note to the announcements. Uh, Brother Tommy Stiles was also the nephew of our sister Helen Morgan, so uh, we extend our deep sympathy to that family. Normally, on Sunday evenings, I'm preaching from the book of Ecclesiastes. But since tonight I'm going to be dealing with questions and answers, I went ahead and moved our Sunday night lesson to this morning. And I want to deal with Solomon as he looks at life. Each week he considers for us as we go chapter by chapter, and he presents to us how little this world has to offer. It's so easy for us to get caught up in the materialism of this world and to get caught up into thinking this world is so wonderful But in reality, you step back and you look at it and you see it as it really is and you realize this world certainly is not our home. Solomon will look at a number of different things. He will look at what we might call the the three great areas of life, the, the religious realm, the governmental realm, and then the personal realm. And what he will try to do is to let us see it as it really is. He's pondered what has been accomplished under the sun. That's the world where you and I live. That's what we see in our day-to-day lives. He tells us that all these things are vanity and grasping for wind. The idea is is that just like you put your hand up and the wind's blowing and you can't grasp it, You can't really appreciate this world and all of its vanity unless you go to God and you see it from His perspective. Chapter 5 will continue to survey this world, but Solomon's going to add a new element to it here. He's going to add the element of an ineffective faith. For just a few minutes, here's what I want us to look at. I want us to think about, first of all, those first seven verses as he talks about a perverted worship. When you start thinking about this world and the religious part of it, I suggest that most of us see this world and we see the charlatans that are on television. We see the people who are telling us, send me your money, send me your money, But you find out many of them are exposed as having been involved in immoral situations. Many of them are just nothing more than money grubbers. But yet when you start looking at the religious realm of individuals, you find out the world is many times not as religious as it portrays itself to be. Then verses 8 and 9 You would think, well, if religion doesn't provide any sort of of goodness, certainly our government will offer some sort of justice toward those who are oppressed and to those who are poor and those who can't help themselves. And then you step back and you realize the government doesn't really work well either. 
And then you would think, well, individually, me, myself, I'm what I ought to be. No, many times most of us look at ourselves and realize how poor off we really are. We find ourselves just as greedy as the man who is out on the street. We find ourselves coveting and wanting and desiring what other people desire. And the Bible warns against it. And then Solomon in verses 18 through 20 will help us to put all this into perspective. How does God want us to look at this world? How does God want us to deal with a world that has all of this bad in it? I think of the song that we often sing, This world is not my home, I'm just passing through. Treasures are laid up somewhere beyond the blue. You see, there's something much greater for the future. Let's begin with verses 1 through 7. And if you will, let's read along. He says, Walk prudently when you go into the house of God and draw near to hear rather than to give the sacrifice of fools. For they do not know that they do evil. Do not be rash with your mouth and let not your heart utter anything hastily before God. For God is in heaven, and you are on earth. Therefore, let your words be few. For a dream comes through much activity, and a fool's voice is known by many words. When you make a vow to God, do not delay to pay it. For he has no pleasure in fools. Pay what you have vowed. Better not to vow than to vow and not pay. Do not let your mouth cause your flesh to sin, nor say to the messenger before the messenger of God that it is an error. Why should God be angry at your excuse and destroy the work of your hands? For in the multitude of dreams and many words there is vanity but fear God. For just a few minutes, let's try to unpack what Solomon just said. Walk prudently. The original words literally mean watch your step. When you entered this morning through those doors to come into this auditorium, what was on your mind? Did you think that you are now assembling before the God of heaven, the creator of this universe, to give Him glory, to give Him praise, to give Him honor? Or did you do, as many times we often do, mindlessly walk through the door, thinking nothing about what we're going to say, what we're going to do, whether or not we believe the words of the songs and we sing them enthusiastically, or do we bow our heads in the prayers and think, yes, that is what I want to say to God. What Solomon is saying is so many walk in 
without careful intent. He says, hear and listen rather than be rash with your words. Obviously, Solomon is trying to draw us to emphasize more the listening to God than saying something ourselves. James 1 and verse 19 says, So then, my beloved brethren, let every man be swift to hear, slow to speak, slow to wrath. Very easy for us to allow ourselves to be thinking about what we want to say rather than listening to what God has said. Let not anyone utter anything hastily before God. You know what hasty means? Somebody's in too big of a hurry. Someone who is more interested in hurrying up than they are in thinking about what they're doing. I posted a satire last night on Facebook. Some of you saw it. The satire was that a half a congregation dies because the sermon went 15 minutes over time. We all laugh at things like that, but do you know what? There's so many people, once you reach a point where that clock says 10 o'clock, most people are like, all right, he should be done by now. He should be through. The lesson should be over. Proverbs 29, 20 says, Do you see a man hasty in his words? There is more hope for a fool than for him. A man who is just running headlong, he's rushing through life, he's thinking, oh, this is not that important. Is God pleased? Absolutely not. God is not pleased when we say things without thought. God is not pleased when we don't think about what we're doing. And what Solomon says is that a person can allow his mouth to cause him to sin. For just a minute or two, let's sort of think about what he has just said. How is it that we pervert our worship to God? Part of it's when we fail to know what is being done. He says they do not know that they do evil. The religious world, and I'm talking about the people in it, many of them are assembled in church buildings all over this country and all over this world. Many of them are participating in acts of worship that are not acceptable to God. Do you remember Romans chapter 10 verses 1 and following? I bear them witness that they have a zeal for God, but not according to knowledge. For they, being ignorant of God's righteousness and seeking to establish their own righteousness, have not submitted themselves to the righteousness of God. Are there zealous people in this world? Absolutely there are. But is their worship acceptable to God? Not unless it is given as God has demanded. In Titus chapter 1 and verse 16, they profess to know God, but by their works they deny Him, being abominable, disobedient, and to every good work disqualified, or disqualified for every good work. Very similarly, 
In 2 Corinthians 13, 5, examine yourselves as whether you're in the faith. Test yourselves. Do you not know that you yourselves, that Jesus Christ is in you? Unless indeed you are disqualified. What about my motivations? What about what I sing? What about what I do? Is that acceptable to God? Pretending to be on a level with God. Does man ever treat God as if he and we are on the same level? You know, there's so many people today who talk about a personal relationship with the Lord, and I understand the concept of it. But a lot of these people, as they speak, they speak as if God was somehow their best buddy. As if they somehow could stand on a level equal with God. In Psalm 50, verse 21 He says, these things you have done and I have kept silent. You thought that I was altogether like you. God said, you thought that I was on the same plane as you are. God is in heaven. You're on earth. Recognize and appreciate and acknowledge God's divinity. Give Him respect. Give Him honor. Give Him reverence when we are more concerned with what we want rather than what God has said. When you read the book of Amos, you recognize that these people here have been destroyed for a lack of knowledge. Chapter 4, verse 6. You realize that their worship was not as God had directed, but as man had directed. The American Standard captures it very well in chapter six or chapter 4, verse 5. He says, and offer the sacrifice of thanksgiving of that which is leavened and proclaim free will offerings and publish them. For this pleases you. This is what you want to do. Matthew 15, verse 9, and in vain do they worship me, teaching as doctrines the commandments of men. And then making promises that one does not intend or may not be able to keep. When you make a vow to God, do not delay to pay it. When you yourself say to God, I will do this. Now folks, let's let's be real precise, real focused here. When you become a Christian, you are saying, I am crucifying self to put Jesus in first place in my life. And yet in reality, here's what happens. Sunday night comes along and I've got something else I want to do. So I choose to go there rather than to worship God. If I tell God I am putting you first in my life, we're going to have to act like we're putting Him first in our life. And Solomon is saying, here's what I see in this world I see a perverted worship. I see a perverted religion. I see people who say they love God, but they don't act like they love God. Let's move on. Let's look at chapter 5, verses 8 and 9. You would think that if there's any place or any 
organization that would provide justice and fairness and equity, it would be the government. Listen to what Solomon writes. If you see the oppression of the poor and the violent perversion of justice and righteousness in a province, do not marvel at the matter. For high officials watches over high officials. And higher officials are over them. Moreover, the profit of the land is for all. Even the king is served from the field. Now, what Solomon is doing is considering the actions of high officials. We're talking about governors. And then he says, but they serve under higher officials. And ultimately, they're all under the king. You would think that people would be honorable and say, here's a poor man. He needs to be taken care of. He needs to be provided for. And you would think that if he didn't do his job, that someone above him would do that. And that if even he doesn't do that, you would go all the way up to the king because the king is served by even those who come from the field. And what does Solomon say? Don't marvel that you see that. In my judgment, we live in one of not only the most prosperous, but the most just and the most fair nations on the face of this earth at this time. And yet I would dare say that most of us can point to numerous examples of injustice in our society. And someone would say, that's the normal. I want you to observe that injustice is where there ought to be justice. In chapter 3, verse 16, he said, Moreover, I saw unto the sun, and the place of judgment, wickedness was there, and the place of righteousness, iniquity was there. You know, where people ought to be doing right, they're doing wrong. It never ceases to amaze me. I don't know if the man running from Alabama is a pedophile or not. All I know is is that it seems as if all of the crazies have come out of the closet recently. It seems as if there's no one who has any honorableness in our government. And yet, what's that government there for? Romans 13, verses 3 and 4. He's God's minister for good. Why is He there? He's to punish the evildoer and to praise those who are doing good. And yet frequently appears oppression all the way from the highest levels of government. So Solomon would say, you won't find it in the religious world because most of them are not doing what they say they would do. You won't find it even in the civil government because many of them are corrupt and unjust. Well, that just leaves me. What we need to do now is look at verses 10 through 17. He who loves silver will not be satisfied with silver, nor he who loves abundance with increase. This also is vanity. When goods increase, they increase who eat them. 
So what profit have the owners except to see it with their eyes? The sleep of a laboring man is sweet, whether he eats little or much. But the abundance of the rich will not permit him to sleep. There is a severe evil which I have seen under the sun, riches kept for their owner to his hurt. But those riches perish through misfortune. When he begets a son, there's nothing in his hand. As he came from his mother's womb, naked he shall return. To go as he came, and he shall take nothing from his labor, which he may carry away in his hand. And this also is a severe evil. Just exactly as he came, so shall he go. And what profit has he who has labored for the wind? And all his days he also eats darkness, and he has much sorrow, and sickness, and anger. Now, I don't know if you remember a couple of weeks ago when we studied chapter 4. Solomon opened that chapter by pointing out the oppression of the poor man. You look at him, you look at what he has to look forward to. Debt, not much. And then Solomon turned and looked at the wealthy man and he said, look at what he has. And, you know, there's somebody always envying him. There's someone always wants what he has. You see, if you're a poor man, you feel like I don't have anything. You feel like you don't have an opportunity. If you're a rich man, you feel like everybody's trying to take what I have away from me. And neither person enjoys much of life. And those who have acquired much have difficulty in enjoying it. Proverbs 23, 4 and 5. Do not overwork to be rich because of your own understanding. Cease. Will you set your eyes on that which is not? For riches certainly make for themselves wings and they fly like an eagle toward heaven. You work real hard, you try to amass a fortune, and you know what happens to it? It's gone, just like an eagle flies. 1 Timothy 6.17 Command those who are rich in this present age not to be haughty, nor trust in uncertain riches, but in the living God who richly gives us richly all things to enjoy. One never has enough. He who loves silver will not be satisfied with silver. One who loves abundance, what about the increase? I considered my daddy a very wise man. We used to have people who would buy cars on the credit and they would come in and say, Mr. Foy, I don't have any money this week. And as they would leave, daddy would say, it doesn't matter how much those people make, whatever they make, they'll always not have enough. He said, if you're able to live within your means, if you make $100, you can live within your means. If you make $1,000, you can live within your means. If you make 10000 you can live within your means. If you are broke with all of those, you will be as well. And that's what Solomon's deserving here. People seem like they never have enough. Or if I only had, and you just fill in the figure, I think I would be happy. I think I would be content. You can say, well, if I just had a million dollars, I'd be him. No, you wouldn't. You'd have to have five million. 
And Solomon looks at that and he looks at it and he says, with this increased profit comes increased spending. Got more taxes to pay. More obligations that you have. And then he looks at the wealthy man and he says, it prevents him from sleeping. Is somebody going to steal what I've got? Am I going to lose what I've got? And then he pictures misfortune can cause a person to lose it all. And person says, well, I've got mine pretty much taken care of. Do you remember Job? Job was one of the greatest men of the East. He had a family. He had wealth. But it didn't take long for a storm to take everything Job had. You and I can lose everything we have. Seemingly in a moment. Now... To many of us, what Solomon says can be depressing, be discouraging. Well, as I look at this world, I, I look and see religion, and as far as the world has been, it's not offered much. And I can look and see the government, it's not offered much. And I can look at my own self and my own personal greed. And I can say, you've made a mess. See, Solomon's able to not leave us there. Look at verses 18 through 20. Here's what I've seen. It is good and fitting for one to eat and to drink and to enjoy the good of all of his labor in which he toils under the sun all the days of his life which God gives him, for it is his heritage. As for every man whom God has given riches and wealth and given him the power to eat of it, to receive his heritage and rejoice in his labor, this is the gift of God." For he will not dwell unduly on the days of his life because God will keep him busy with the joy of his heart. I don't know if you let those words sink deep down in your heart. If you read them and you say, wow, that is profound. Here's what Solomon points out. He said, it's good, it's fitting. This word is translated better elsewhere through the book of Ecclesiastes. It's better for you if you will take and change your view of things. God gives the gift of employment and enjoyment for one's labor. When you're given the privilege to work, to have a job, to have some dignity in that, and then you get a paycheck for doing that, look at chapter 2, verse 24. Nothing is better for a man that he should eat and drink and that his soul should enjoy good in his labor. This I saw was from the hand of God. 
If you've got a job and you're able to provide for your family, realize God has blessed you. That's a gift from God. Verse 20. To not be unduly focused on the things, but on the life that God has given you. Whenever I teach the book of Acts, and I teach particularly Acts chapter 2, people will come and they will say, What must I do to please God? What do I have to do to be saved? I go to Acts 2, 37 and 38 and point out they wanted to know that. And he said, repent and let every one of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of your sins. And we'll point out, oh, you've got the forgiveness of sins. Generally, we'll go to verse 47 and say, praising God and having favor with all the people, the Lord added the church daily, those who are being saved. The fact that you've been added to the church but I want you to see the heart of the people. Look at verse 46. So continuing daily with one accord in the temple and breaking bread from house to house, they ate their food, now listen carefully, with gladness and simplicity of heart. Gladness. God's blessed me. And I'm thankful for that. A week from this Thursday, a lot of people in our country will focus their thanks on what has God given us. Simplicity of heart. Singleness. To view the fact I can block out all the worldly things and realize God's blessings in all of this. You see, what Solomon is trying to do is to get us to have a proper perspective that we use things because he blessed us with them, not things use us and possess us and own us and drive us. He was able by his ponderings to put life in a proper perspective. And what he wants us to do is to focus on the life to come. I want to end with one passage, and then we're going to extend the invitation. When Paul wrote Timothy, he talked to him about things that are a part of this life. He's specifically going to address a person putting their effort, their, you know, in trying to build up the physical body. And he said, for bodily exercise profits a little. But godliness is profitable for all things, having the promise of the life which now is and of that which is to come. Oh, if you look at this life, there's so much that it appears to offer. But the real thing is godliness. Now we're going to sing, Just As I Am. Just As I Am. How do you stand right now before God? Are you a Christian? 
If you're not, we're going to beg you, we're going to plead with you, we're going to sing to encourage you to come forward, confess your faith in Christ, be baptized for the remission of your sins. If you're a child of God and this world has got a hold of you, it's time to turn it loose. Focus on godliness. Ask for God's forgiveness. And He will bless you. Would you come as we stand and sing?